Welcome to Conquer the Carolinas, your guide to conquering your health and wellness goals. I'm your host, Dr. Steven Selecki, physical therapist and owner of Conquer Movement, a performance-based physical therapy clinic right here in Wilmington, North Carolina. On this podcast, I'll be connecting you with local industry experts and top athletic performers who will share their expertise and knowledge in areas that you may be struggling in, such as sleep hygiene, nutrition, stress management, movement, mindset, and much, much more. Our conversations will help guide you in the right direction on your journey to optimizing your health and introduce you to the services available in our local area that may be the missing link in your training or lifestyle. Thanks for tuning in. Now let's get into today's episode. What's up, everybody? We are here for another episode of Conquer the Carolinas. I'm your host, Dr. Steve, and today I am joined by somebody uh, who has wore many different hats in my life. Um, my uh, colleague, my mentor, my friend, uh, my boss, uh, Alex Antonini, Dr. Alex Antonini or Dr. Alessandro Antonini, as he goes by formally. Um, we are doing our Conquer the Carolinas podcast, even though he is based out of Pennsylvania. We are teaching a manual therapy course in Greenville, South Carolina, um, and figured it was appropriate to stay on theme with the podcast. And also, um, we're going to address a lot of questions that I get asked often in the clinic regarding manual therapy, uh, chiropractic adjustments. Does PT do that quote unquote chiro stuff? Um, And kind of what that all looks like and answer some of the questions that we get from there. So I'll turn it over to you, Alex. Why don't you give a brief intro about who you are as a physical therapist, what it means to be a manual physical therapist, and then we'll take it from there. Thank you, Steve. Thank you very much for having me on the podcast. Uh, This is uh, actually the first time I've ever done this sort of thing. So very excited. Um, So briefly about myself. So I've been a physical therapist since 2001. I um, have worked in a variety of settings, but have settled into outpatient settings for the majority of my career. And at this stage of the game, I am with a national outfit that basically we treat, uh, I would say, acute and subacute musculoskeletal injuries. And um, beyond that, um, I have also I also serve as uh, adjunct faculty at uh, Widener University, which is in Chester, Pennsylvania. I am a mentor, as you stated, for uh, fellows in training working to pursue their fellowships in uh, manual therapy through the American Academy of Orthopedic Manual Physical Therapists. Um, that's been going on since 2009. I have mentored upwards of third, excuse me, 60. Uh, current fellows, which is a pretty pretty high amount, and uh, in addition to that, I also am uh, the at this point sole owner of a company called Mid Atlantic Manual Therapy Consultants, and what we do is we go relatively nationwide and teach continuing education seminars to physical therapists specific to manual therapy, and I would say a good half of our program is specific to uh, what are known as uh, thrust mobilization and or manipulation techniques uh, applied to different parts of the body in terms of the uh, the spine, both the 
the neck, the mid-back, and the lower back, or more formally known as uh, cervical, thoracic, lumbar spine, and for that matter, the pelvis, as well as the extremities. Awesome. Yeah, man, I'm really excited to have you on. And um, we just some of the stuff that we've been getting asked a lot of from our patients um, is about like a lot of our patients don't understand what physical therapy actually is until they come in, they work with us and they experience it. And then they also didn't realize that a physical therapist can treat in the capacity that we do as, as fellows. So tell our, tell us a little bit about what does it mean to have a fellowship in this orthopedic manual physical therapy, all those letters that come after our name, what does that mean in terms of why might I want to seek one out if I'm looking for physical therapy? Yeah, so uh, to your point from earlier, you are 100% correct. As a profession, we wear many hats. And a lot of people think that we wear one, maybe two hats. So uh, let's start off by basically just a brief overview of the physical therapy profession unto itself. Uh, For starters, there are many different roles that therapists can, can take on. They can work with pediatric populations. They can work with geriatric populations. Um, at varying degrees of involvement, so with neurological problems. So let's say, for example, young kids that have cerebral palsy or older uh, individuals that may have had a stroke or something like that. Um, And those are two of the many hats. Now, nowadays, even compared to when I graduated 22 years ago, things have shifted a bit and you see much more of the prevalence of physical therapists in outpatient settings in general treating musculoskeletal sort of orthopedic things if you will and with that being said the uh the the specialization level has improved over that time both in terms of things known as um or residencies in orthopedics or in sports as well as to your point again uh the fellowships, uh, to my knowledge, and pretty much I think I can speak safely to say that there's only one fellowship program out there that's recognized by all of our uh, professional um, uh, bodies within physical therapy, and that's this one. This is the fellowship through the American Academy of Orthopedic Manual Physical Therapists. What does that mean? Well, uh, there are multiple programs out there, and basically what it is is it's a means to improve your uh, skill set as a physical therapist, both in terms of what you do with your hands as well as your thinking process to get there. That's what it really boils down to. And uh, really the clinical decision-making, the clinical reasoning component is where the these programs are of high value. And so with that, I went through the same program you did, albeit a bit earlier. So I completed mine through uh, the Manual Therapy Institute uh, which they're based out of uh, the Austin, Texas area, and that was in 2008. And uh, at the time, going into that, I guess if, if shall we get into that a little bit as to what got me there? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so um, when I graduated in 2001 from uh, from college, I felt woefully underprepared to treat outpatient populations. I didn't feel I had the skill set to do it justice, and so. I didn't go into that setting. Uh, about three years later, I then decided, you know what, this is what I signed up for originally. This is where I'm going to go back to. But I still didn't have the skill set. 
So then I started taking a bunch of individualized continuing education courses, which definitely helped, but I still felt like there was something else that needed to tie it all together. And that's when I stumbled upon this uh, fellowship program, which at the time was being offered in Philadelphia. Uh, and so I found out later that the, the venue where it was being done was seven miles from my house, and I couldn't pass that up. So from a convenience factor, from a cost factor, from a exactly what I was looking for factor, everything was there. So the, 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 the stage was set. So I went ahead and followed through with that. And so for me personally, uh, what it taught me was the, the, the value of not only doing things with your hands, but also knowing why they're being done and knowing what to, uh, how to, to get to that point with the individual. And even, even beyond that, knowing how they should uh, expectedly respond to said treatments and on from there. Um, it's really been an absolute game changer for me, uh, the manual therapy training, both the fellowship as well as courses taken prior to and thereafter. And it has taken me from what I would consider uh, a very average physical therapist uh, beforehand to much beyond that. Let, let's put it that way. And, and and that's, you know, that's not to, to speak out of line or anything like that. I just feel that compared to where I was personally and compared to where the average physical therapist is to this day, um, leaps and bounds past that. Yeah. And, and I think that's exactly, you hit it right on the head, right? It's a, it's a specialty. Think of a surgeon, right? If you need knee surgery, you're going to want to see the guy that specializes in knees. You're not going to want to see the guy or girl that specializes in the low back. Us as physical therapists, we come out of PT school knowing a very, in the grand scheme of things, little bit about a lot. So to your, like exactly what you said, we graduate, if you wanted to, you could do pediatrics, you can do outpatient ortho, we could do neuro rehab. And then if you really want to separate yourself from the standard PT, that's where you go into these residencies and these fellowship programs. So what Alex is referencing is, you know, this is somebody who's gone through years of school, the current DPT or doctor of physical therapy program, four years undergrad, typically with three um, of a doctorate, or we also have these accelerated programs where you can go through um, in five or six years. And then with the fellowship, what we did from there was take on another, what ended up being essentially two and a half, three years of education, not only didactic work in class, giving up your weekends, but then also working under another orthopedic fellow for 400 plus hours of relatively, like, it's fun while you're doing it, but looking back, you're like, it is grueling. Like, you're getting grilled. What did you find in this patient? Why, what are you going to test next? Why would you think to test that next? You did the X, Y, and Z treatment. It didn't work. What are the next steps? And it really gets your mind and, and gets the gears turning to improve your clinical reasoning, like you said. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that like it, it separates us. It separates us from somebody who just knows that little, that little bit coming out of PT school or maybe doesn't go above and beyond to really improve their skill sets that way. Yeah, and actually, that's, a, that's an interesting point. Um, in spite of the fact that there are 20-some-odd fellowship programs out there these days, the amount of people within the profession that are fellows is still a very, very small percentage. So uh, at this point, the last count of the amount of physical therapists that are uh, out there is uh, probably over 170,000 in the United States. 
that's 170,000. That being said, as far as the amount of fellows, there are less than 5,000. So it's definitely wow. a very small proportion. Yeah, for sure. I think in terms of, so general population, I am a, a patient who has either is either looking for physical therapy or maybe I've had physical therapy and it's, it's failed me in the past. What do you think a, an orthopedic fellow brings to the table that maybe they didn't get in, in, with, with their prior PT experience? So, great point. The first thing is different perspective. Uh, that's that's the, the one thing that I would say that sets us, uh, you and I for that matter, us apart from the, the average run-of-the-mill is digging deeper, asking the questions, uh, what was done before, what worked, what didn't work, and then from there, in addition to that, bringing another perspective of, okay, we're, we're going to look at the way you move in detail, the factors that led to perhaps the, 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 the issue that, you, that brought you in, not only perhaps, but flat out the issue that brought you in, and what we're going to do to correct the faulty movement or, or the, the, the issue that, that led to whatever the symptom or the problem is, and then hopefully give you some sort of lasting uh, residual uh, improvement with that. Yeah, 100%. I was messing around in the course that we were talking about today and just saying like there's a, a TikTok video that's going around that's like trending and it's a guy in his car and it, it's a, uh, I don't even remember what the heck I was referencing now. He's like, uh, it's not a phase, it's a lifestyle, mom. Punk, punk rock. Yeah, he, cr- he cranks up the punk rock music and he's, and he's going to town. And it's the same thing with manual therapy. Like manual therapy or this orthopedic fellowship it's not the it's not a phase, right? It's not the next hot gadget that came out. It's ne- not the next magic trick. It's not the cool expensive equipment that we can entice patients to come in and see us with. This is a complete mindset. It's a clinical approach to treatment. We are looking at patients from a, a full body perspective, not just ouch, you have back pain, but cool. You have back pain, fantastic. Like how do you move? What does that movement pattern look like? Why is that back pain present? What is the root cause of this back pain? And then taking it to that next level of understanding, like, why, why haven't past treatments helped? Um, most of the clients that we see at our clinic, Conquer Movement, were the third, fourth, PT, Cairo, orthos, the whole deal. And then we'll find that one thing that works. And people think that we're, like, the smartest person around. And I'll tell patients flat out, like, I don't know anything. I mean, I, I, we know we have a better clinical reasoning. but you didn't have a bad PT. There's no way that the PT you saw was like, I don't care. Like just, you know, like we don't get in, we don't go through all that school to not try and help, at least in some capacity. But I think we have an advantage of really knowing the importance of, all right, you had failed PT. What did that look like? Well, they put me on a hot pack and a bike and I did lower trunk rotations for six weeks, every single visit. Well, okay. Or yeah, they did a bunch of aggressive stretching and that flared things up. Like we get the insight of, well, you tried a bunch of stretching. Nobody, I don't hear any sound of like strengthening. So we kind of get that advantage of being able to dive into that. And I think that's huge because not a lot of people will, will see the value in that. Or some people just like to go in with fresh eyes and like, ah, don't bias me. I don't want to know, you know, but I do think you're right in the sense of that listening and going in with a different mindset of like, I want to know everything that you've had, how you responded to it. and then. How am I going to tweak that to weed out? Like, 
we don't we don't have to mess around with any of this. We can go right to what could potentially be work or maybe that that piece, that missing piece of the puzzle. Yes. Uh and interestingly enough, something that you said a few moments ago was the the fact that well, let me just highlight this. Within the profession itself, there's very poor understanding of what actual manual physical therapists do, specifically fellows, because a lot of people don't know what that distinction is within our profession, number one. Yeah. And number two, they don't know what the training is. And number three, even if they do know all of the above, they don't appreciate it at all. Um, I've had that on job interviews. I've had that on in situations where I've um, just in, in, in discussion with people. I've had that with uh, physical therapy students that come through, and they have no clue. So one thing is to explain it to them, but it's another for them to see it in action. And then that combination usually lends itself to uh, a lot of oohs and ahs and things of that nature. And and like you're saying, it's not that we're doing anything overly uh, mind mind blowing. Well, maybe not to us, but what we're doing though is 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 taking maybe what was done before and what wasn't done before and so on and so forth and figuring out those few things that need to be done for the, this individual and make it highly individualized for the patient. So um, I have a good friend of mine. He's a physical therapist and slowly he's coming around. He's always been very critical of, oh, you and that, that manual therapy nonsense, blah, <laughs> blah, blah. blah. Um, all you do is pop joints and this and that. And uh, I'll, he'll remain unnamed, but good guy. Um, he is out of New Jersey for what it's worth. And uh, he uh, finally came to me, oh gosh, last fall, so quick story here, and he was having some shoulder pain, um, and he, it was very specific, he, it, it started out as a basketball injury collision, um, got hurt in March of 2022, I saw him in October, November, I actually sent him to um, a fellow colleague of mine who, uh, in his case, and, and I know this because I mentored him myself, um, the, the, the fellow in, in, in question, um, he went there once cause it was closer to home for him. So my friend went to see him the one time and, uh, the treatment he received, he kind of went down the wrong path, uh, because the issue was a shoulder and the fellow that was seeing him went and, and decided that he was going to look at his neck and his neck only. And so he did some things with his neck and didn't change much in the grand scheme of things. So then my friend who uh, was a bit, uh, in retrospect, annoyed at the, the treatment he received, he said, listen, can I just come see you? I said, yeah, come on out. So he came out, and uh, within five minutes, I knew exactly what was wrong with him. In his case, he had uh, uh, originally sprained his uh, acromioclavicular joint, which is basically where your collarbone meets your shoulder blade, and it just wasn't treated. Now, what was interesting was the guy that saw him before knows exactly what that is, but for whatever reason, I, maybe he was having a bad day, must have missed it. So uh, so my friend there showed me the movements that bothered him, and uh, everything fully lined up. We did the treatment, which took about five minutes, and uh, then as a thank you, he took me out to lunch, because um, I, I did it as a courtesy, and uh, he, within a week, I texted him, I said, how's it going? He goes, 95% better, yep. which was pretty fantastic, given the fact that he got hurt in March. I saw him in, I want to say October, maybe November, um, it was still relatively warm out at the time and, uh, one treatment is pretty much all it took. And I, I did give him a good bit of education as to what he needed to do to maintain that, but it wasn't anything earth shattering. It was basically two stretches and, uh, there was one muscle area in the back of his shoulder that needed some, some TLC, which he took care of himself. 
that was it. And uh, he's been fine since. So yeah, no. yeah. Knowing the right place to address the issue is is the biggest piece of it. Doesn't matter the equipment, the the facility that you're in. None of that matters at all because if you know how to address the issue and the underlying issue and give solutions to that, you can make the change, and then the rest is all gravy from there. So we talked about as a orthopedic fellow of manual physical therapy, the clinical reasoning piece, the mindset, the individualized care and treatment, having that as a specialty. Let's talk about the manual therapy piece. When people hear, at least in the PT world, manual therapy, um, and I know a lot of our, our patients too in the general population hear that and we're catching on to what that means. Some people think that means, oh, okay, great. You, you do massage too, right? Or you're, oh, you're, you do that chiropractic stuff. Um, is that like acupuncture? Like, what does that mean? What are some of the things that you utilize from a hands-on standpoint as a manual physical therapist? Um, and then we can uh, specifically address, do you guys do chiropractic um, after that? Sure. So I'll address it right now. So yeah. basically what we do as man, what we're trained to do as manual physical therapists ranges from things that would be perceived as perhaps massage in nature. So we're getting in and assessing uh, muscular tissue as well as uh, other connective tissues such as the skin itself, the fascia, and doing uh, hands-on techniques to those structures to improve movement, reduce pain, improve function, uh, for that matter, restore strength, that sort of thing. Um, we're also uh, well-trained in uh, assessing and treating uh, issues related to joints, which usually have some sort of muscular um, overlay with that. And when it comes to joints, <clears throat> one form of treatment uh, is something along the lines of what's known or what are known in our profession as joint manipulations, which typically when they're done, they're usually quick and they usually produce some sort of a pop, uh, like a knuckle crack, that sort of thing. Okay, except applied to shoulder, the ankle, lower back, and so on. And that's where, because of that pop, a lot of people that are uh, perhaps not in the profession, and even in the profession, seem to think that we do things that are uh, either, that may sound chiropractic in nature, or that may have similarity to chiropractic. And my answer to that is very simple. Um, and I tell patients this on a fairly regular basis when they say, what's the difference between what you do in chiropractic? And it's one word, philosophy. Mm -hmm. The philosophy is that chiropractors are trained to uh, view things a certain way. They have certain terminology for their um, diagnoses. They use terms like uh, subluxation, which would mean something that's out of line, if you will, uh, out of alignment, rather. Um, that's probably a better, better way to say it. <laughs> and so... Um, and so with that then, their treatment approach is something called uh, an adjustment. Now, that goes back to the beginning of that profession, which goes back to the late 1800s. Uh, in our case, we may apply either a very similar or the exact same technique, but the thought process behind it is rather different in that we're not necessarily saying this is out of alignment or, or we're taking x-ray to prove that what we're looking at is something isn't moving correctly, let's restore the motion, let's maintain that motion, and let's follow it up with what we need to follow it up with, be it exercise, some form of uh, corrective posturing that may may require outside uh, influences like taping, 
um, as well as the quote-unquote massage type techniques to the, the muscles, et cetera. And so now you're doing things to the joints, things to the muscles, things to the posture, you're exercising, because you're kind of getting, if you're going to go profession by profession, you're getting some, some components of massage, some com- components of, if you want to call it that, that, that resemble chiropractic, but are not because of what I talked about, the philosophy, as well as uh, a, a strong exercise component that some people may interpret as personal training, perhaps. So you're kind of hitting three, three things right there under one roof. Um, and that's what makes us unique is the fact that we can tie all those things together and into one nice, neat package as manual physical therapists and provide that uh, usually very effectively and get patients where they need to be. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's how we explain it too. And, and again, anything that I explain is probably because I got it for, from working with you. So uh, when I say that I, I say these things, it's because it's been uh, ingrained in me through my training and, and mentoring with Alex. But, you know, I think the biggest piece that you said in terms of like, why might I see, so I see, I'm see, I've been seeing a chiropractor for the past year for my low back pain, but it hasn't improved. And then now I come to you and you go, hey, I think we need this manipulation, which would be similar to an adjustment. Mm-hmm. Well, what's going to be different about this manipulation that you do versus the 50 that I've gotten every once a week for the past year? What's, what's, the, what's the biggest difference? Easy answer. Very easy answer. So uh, the, the follow-up. Uh, most people that I've ever treated that have had chiropractic care, the visits tend to be very brief, tend to be very focused on one specific intervention, which usually is in the form of, as they call them, adjustments. And there's very little follow-up. And that's because the, the model in which they work is one that... Uh, that is one that 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 consists and 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 subsists subsists on continuation of care. Um, in my world, I don't really I'm not looking to make this a long term thing. I want patients to get better in a timely manner, and so therefore, what I'm looking to do is get them better as quickly as possible, get them out my door, have high patient satisfaction, and then the next time something happens to them or a family member, they don't go to the chiropractor. They they reach out to me. Yep. Or to you or whomever else that they have trust in, or they reach out to me, and if it doesn't work out, I'll say, hey, listen, I want you to see so-and-so because I know them, and whether I mentored them or I, whatever, I'm friends with them, and, and I know their skill set, so they'll help you. So again, to, to answer your question, what sets us apart in that regard from the, the 50 visits of chiropractic is, I would ask, what was done? Was there anything else done? If the answers I had, uh, you know, they would crack my neck, back, mid-back, et cetera, for a low back problem, that's great. And what else was done? Oh, that was it. And then they would put me on heat or the massage therapist would come in for 10 minutes and work on me or they'd put me on some sort of bed with rollers on it. And, and again, I'm generalizing. There, sure. there are very, I know a few that are extremely skilled chiropractors that, that treat almost identically to how you and I would treat. Um, like It's like a mirror image. It's, it's, it's pretty wild and, and, and very impressive. But the, the run of the mill is is what it is just like the run of the mill physical therapist is going to the perception there is you go there and you're going to be given an exercise sheet or, or program if you will that's to be done both at home in the and in the clinic and it's essentially the same thing so you go there you pay your copays and you then do 
the same old, same old, perhaps with some progression, perhaps not. But what is what's what that's missing is maybe that hands-on piece that needs to happen in order for these things to be done more effectively, meaning the, the, the exercise component, et cetera. So that's what's lacking on that end. And on the chiropractic end, it's usually the, the, the follow-up. So the hands-on piece is, is addressed to some extent in the way that they treat their hands-on, but there's nothing beyond that. So what we, I would say, specialize in as manual physical therapists is the combination, or rather are, a combination of the hands-on piece as well as the, the, the follow-up care, whatever that looks like. Yeah, 100%. Um, the follow-up care is huge. The other thing, too, is um, something I think you're very good at, and then which in turn I've picked up on as well, is the sessions are never the same. Very, very rarely are you coming in session one, and then session two are going, well, let's just, let's just pick up with more of what we did. If you've improved, you're, make, you're going to progress. We're going to move on to something different. If you didn't improve, we're going to do more examination and go, well, wait a minute. Why the heck didn't plan A go to plan? Why are you coming back with still limited range of motion, still having this pain? Let's tweak this plan based off of what I found today. So I want to make sure to clarify, like when we say like, ah, chiropractor's not working or this type of PT isn't working, we're not saying that you shouldn't see a chiropractor. I have plenty of patients that have had great success. But the question has to become, if I'm going to insert whatever medical provider, I'm going to whatever medical provider for X reason, and I've been going to them for a year and nothing has changed, and that plan of care hasn't changed at all, why, 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 like, what, what are we doing here? So if you're going to a Cairo and they're manipulating the same spots in the same fashion, on the same day, the same time of every week, and you're seeing no physical, mental, or any other benefits, or you're going to a PT and they're doing the same exercises, the same regimen with no change, we got to change it up. Um, and I think that's what we do really well as manual physical therapists and with that clinical reasoning piece and hands-on piece is we're constantly chasing what's next, what's the missing link. Okay, great. We improved your hip mobility. I still don't like the way that you're bending forward though. And you're still having pain with that. Really thought it was going to be the hip. Let's check this. You know, let's go to this next step. And that process never ends. Correct. It's, a, it's, a, it's an ongoing assessment process over and over and over again. And it's one of those things where once it's ingrained in you, that's how you, you roll. Um, and especially in a one-on-one model like what you do, that's really outstanding because you can you have the luxury of being able to do that each and every time uh, as soon as the patient walks in the door look at the things that were bothersome for them uh, the last time they came in what changed the things improved the things regress etc and then you customize that individual session based on that which is tremendous i do that to a large extent but because i see more than one patient an hour on a fairly consistent basis i don't always have the optimal timing. So what I do then is, if need be, I will reassess them to some extent as soon as they walk in the door. And then from there, do the best I can to segue and do what I need to do. But I do operate in the same fashion as you. I just don't necessarily have the, um, sometimes the, the, the luxury of the one-on-one piece, but it gets done. Sure. Yeah. And <clears throat> excuse me, one more thing too. With that being said too, um, with, with, with uh, experience comes the fact that I'm, I'm highly efficient doing so so i can usually pick out things fairly quickly may take me 10 15 minutes um whereas someone newer 
a newer manual therapist, it may take them half hour or, or perhaps the whole session to figure it out. And so therefore, I can do that and afford to see two, sometimes three patients in, in an hour that overlap and still get the results that I need and that the, and more importantly that they need. Yeah. Awesome. Um, all right. And then we talked about this and teaching our course today, but I'll have you answer it here because even though uh, to me, and again, I, I always, you, you kind of forget like we're in the field and you forget how much you know and how much you've learned over your, over your career. Um, and sometimes you take that for granted, but there's still some con- uh, misconception in terms of what what is that pop when we get that that physical therapy that manipulation what is the pop uh, are you breaking my bones am I going to get arthritis um, my grandmom said that I shouldn't crack my knuckles is this what's happening in my back what what is the pop and should we be worried okay so what is the pop so we actually yeah, we had this very uh, discussion and presentation earlier today so based on the relatively most recent research um there are two theories out there about that there's one that was that's been around since the 1940s and is still used today widely and that's the one where basically when a joint so it's a spinal joint or an ankle joint or whatever joint um when the the the, the portion that surrounds the joint known as the capsule when it's being stretched rapidly um the fluid that normally sits in that joint uh needs to fill the void that's being created with that rapid stretch but the problem is it can't do it fa- quickly enough so uh the the gas that's contained within that fluid forms a bubble that bubble pops and there's your 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 pop your crack if you will uh it's called a, a joint cavitation so that's where this theory basically talks about a bubble forming within the joint and that bubble bursting and thus the noise comes from that now in 2015 there was a study uh, there was a study done in uh, in Canada that basically looked at um they took the individual's hand and they pulled on the the larger knuckles where the the um fingers meet the hand and there they had real time mri um cinematographic mri looking at what was going on and what they found was rather than a bubble forming and bursting that as the joint was stretched there was a critical point where sort of the point of no return where the joint then uh created a a a space a cavity and that creation of that is something called tribonucleation big big term for sure (laughs) but that being said this cavity forms and with the cavity forming so the, 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 the space, if you will, that's when the pop occurs. Perfect. And then in either case, whichever um, theory you ascribe to, perhaps both, whichever, um, that process takes time to, um, to reset. So if you, let's say you crack your knuckle once, you, can't, you, can, you can do the same stretch, but you won't crack it again and make the noise for minutes to hours plus. And that's because whether you're talking about the the, uh, the 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 gases that form the bubble, they need to redissolve back into the fluid, and or that that cavity forming, that cavity needs to eventually sort of settle back down. So that's another reason. Now back to your other question about if you crack your knuckles on a regular basis, will you get arthritis? There were some studies done on that uh, some time ago, and you'd need to crack your knuckles pretty much every hour on the hour 
for many, 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 many years. And then maybe, just maybe, you might get some arthritic changes. So the fact that it's being done once here, once there, therapeutically speaking, uh, doesn't really fall in line with that. So Awesome. Cool. Yeah, I think that's, that's really, uh, A, it's really interesting that you know, all these questions are being answered via research and the mechanism behind it. So no, we're not cracking bones. That noise is either whether it's, it's bubble popping or the creation of a space, it's more of a, of a, a gas type sensation rather than actual joints. And no, you're not going to get arthritis uh, unless you're going insanely uh, over the top whether that's cracking your knuckles or going for your adjustments and manipulations. Um, and again, in our world of manual physical therapy, those manipulations should be used on a temporary basis to see immediate changes in how you're moving or how you're feeling. And then it all comes down to the follow-up, as Alex said, with some type of corrective exercise so that you're not relying on someone like us to constantly, quote-unquote, crack or pop your joints. Is there anything else that you would say to somebody who maybe uh, has given up on PT because they're like, you guys can't help me. There's, there's nothing else for a musculoskeletal injury um, to maybe encourage them to seek out someone with more of a specialty like we have, or maybe it's not even the fact that they're more specialized, but maybe someone who they trust more and can build a better therapeutic relationship. Any words of advice for someone who's maybe getting ready to give up on where they're at in their rehab process because of lack of progress? Yes, I would say that in those instances, uh, just maybe give it one more try, but but do your homework and look into uh, what the person has to offer. Now, that also can be a bit uh, deceiving at times because people can market or advertise themselves quite well. Mm -hmm. So then maybe go with perhaps reviews or good old word of mouth. And if somebody you know and trust has had really optimal results with someone uh, and it sounds like it would be a good fit, then the next step would be to, uh, to the skeptics out there, either call the place and see if you can speak with the individual yourself, which is always good. I, I certainly make time for that. Um, and, and you do as well, uh, to see if it's going to be a good fit. Cause there are times where it's not, and it's, it's, it, and there are times when people call and they'll, they'll, they'll probably, they'll say to you or they'll say to me, Hey, I've got this, this, and this, and also this, that, and the other. And you realize, I don't know that I can help you. So at least there you, you can be honest, but m the majority of times you can. And then basically they can come in and say, look, let's give it a try. Two, three visits tops. If you're seeing results, fantastic. If not, then it's been two or three visits and we can all move on with life. Because what I say to patients all the time is, I don't want to waste your time or mine. Yeah. That's it. And for that matter, your resources. So let's, let's give it a go. Brief period. If you're not making any changes, no problem. You know, we, 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 tried, we tried something different. We certainly tried things that were different from what you had stated before. And they succeeded or failed, but at least we tried something different. Yeah. Awesome, man. I think that's, it's huge. That's huge. Listening, listening, talking to somebody, trying to understand what their problem is. Can I actually help? And then also having their understanding that, no, I can't help you. I can't help you. Or I think I can, 
but let's give it a temporary trial to see if we're getting the results. Again, you're not making them commit. Yeah, come in for six months and we're just going to keep going and see if we can get progress. And I think that's very hard to do, especially at your level with the amount of years that you've been practicing, the amount of continuing education courses you've taken, the amount of certifications you've had. I think it would be very easy with your, your track record of outcome to say, I can, I can help anyone with any musculoskeletal injury. Um, and I think that's huge of knowing when, when it's out of your scope, not, not in a legal way of out of our scope of practice, but when you're like, I, I don't, I, I think we've tapped out our options. Maybe we need to consider this. And I think sometimes ego gets in our way, especially when we talk about seeing specialists and, and people who are known for their high clinical outcomes. Of sometimes you don't want to be the provider who can't get that outcome. Um, so being able to actively listen, being act- actively understand the patient, and then understanding when you can and can't help is going to be huge so that you can get that person to somebody who may have a better shot of getting that patient further along so you're not wasting their time. Well, that's another great point because there are times when, in my, in, well, in all of our cases, there are situations where they do come in for that one or two visits and you, you realize very quickly, we're not going to be able to help you, but here's someone who can and here's why they can. And so usually that involves, it could be another physical therapist, but it, it's some other medical type of practitioner that may do something that might be considered uh, a bit unique. Um, uh, if you, I myself am a big proponent in a lot of uh, injection-based therapies, not with cortisone necessarily. But uh, healing type injections that a lot of doctors out there are starting to come around to doing, things like prolotherapy, things like uh, platelet-rich plasmapheresis, which otherwise known as PRP, um, stem cell injections, those types of things that are really healing in nature that might get the person over the hump, then they can come back to us and actually make some real gains. So those are things to know. I have a few doctors in my sort of my my back pocket that I'm well familiar with. I know their skills. I know them personally. And I refer to them when necessary. So that's another component is when, if and when the situation presents itself that's not favorable to you or the patient, but you know that someone else can help them, to be humble enough to say, hey, listen, here's the deal. Here's who can help you. And that's another thing I found is that with what we do, we have exposure more to those types of things than, once again, the average uh, run-of-the-mill physical therapist, chiropractor, et cetera. So we can give them more along the line of different uh, options within the continuum of care. Yeah, 100%. I, I wonder, part of me wonders is, because I think that's something that even prior to the fellowship training that I understood relatively well was, you know, we need to get other providers in on this care when things aren't going well. And I think that's in part due to, that's kind of how PTs are bred. Like when we're going through PT school, at least when I was, direct access or the ability to see a PT without a doctor's script was relatively new. It was just coming out. Some states had it. Some don't. We're still kind of wishy-washy on where we're at with the, the regulation of that. Um, but we're not necessarily bred to be like PT is the number one like solo uh, healthcare provider, if you will. So I think PTs, we tend to have an open mindset of, hey, we need, you know, we do need to get the chiropractor involved, or we do need to get the doctor involved, or a functional med provider to help speed this along. Whereas other medical providers, whether that's true MD, DO, Cairo, um, maybe their their narrative that they're being taught is like, "Hey, you're the orthopedic surgeon. 
you have more schooling than anyone this side of whatever. So who are you going to ask for help? You think that PT, he only has seven years. You have 27 years of schooling. You know what I mean? Like, I wonder if a part of it is that where, like, we're viewed as a stepping stone, if you will. Like, oh, it's uh, injury, primary care doctor, ortho. Let's see if PT can help you. Ah, back to ortho. Or PT does what ortho says, like that type deal. So sometimes I feel like PTs are more open-minded to call on a friend, that friend being another medical provider, for, for help or assistance in getting things along, where maybe other medical professions aren't as likely. Oh, absolutely, no question. And uh, you're right. Certain medical professions, specifically medical professions, think they're at the top of the food chain. And, uh, and so uh, one that you mentioned in particular, which I won't get into too much, but they have that mindset that sort of they're, they're, they're it and that's that. And then now they're, that's not to say they're all like that, but certainly having, been, having worked in hospital settings and seeing different surgical residents come through um, and or surgical fellows come through from, from, from some of the aforementioned surgical uh, subspecialties, yeah, they, they, the consideration is, is that physical therapy is something that's adjunctive and may or may not work and so on and so forth. So the key there is maybe try to convert a few in terms of their, their perceptions, and then that will just uh, have a domino effect, at least in my opinion, going forward. Yeah, yeah, awesome, man. So on that note, um, I think we did, or you did a great job of really defining what it, a manual physical therapist is, um, really highlighting that fact that, you know, we have to realize that PTs specialize in treatment areas. So make sure that when you're seeking a physical therapist, that whatever that issue is, whether that's a certain sport, a certain activity, a population, um, you're young, you're old, you're middle-aged, whatever. You want to go to a PT that understands your needs, worked with the issues, and specializes in the condition that you're dealing with. Um, and also see a PT who is willing to give up their lunch to jump on a call with you, like you do all the time, who is willing to stay uh, 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 you know, a half hour past his time to see if he can help you to do a brief screen. Someone who's willing to really meet you halfway and wants to see you improve and takes the time to make sure that things are going in the direction that they need to be. That doesn't mean it's going to be perfect, but when they aren't going perfect, that PT is also there with you to help you navigate that, and you're not left on this lonely island. Um, and I think that's, that's really good information to at least give people who are frustrated in the medical system a glimmer of hope. So uh, I really appreciate you, Alex, taking the time uh, after we taught all day from, from 7.30 to, to 5.00. Uh, to jump on here and drop more knowledge with me. Uh, and I look forward to continuing teaching courses with you. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks, Appreciate man. It, Steve. All right, guys, we are out of here. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Conquer the Carolinas. Um, stay tuned as we continue to drop new episodes each month, and we will see you next episode. Thank you for joining us on Conquer the Carolinas. We hope that you found these interviews and resources provided in this podcast helpful and informative. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and join us for future episodes as we continue to explore the Carolinas and discover the best health and wellness options for athletes and active individuals just like you. Don't forget to share this podcast with your friends or your training partners. And remember, it's all about trusting the process and taking control of your health and wellness journey. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode of Conquer the Carolinas.